Welcome into another Busting Brackets podcast. I'm your host, Brian Ralph, joined as always by Connor Hope. And Connor, first week of the season's in the books. Things have gone somewhat according to plan, but there has been certainly a few surprises this season. Um, most notably, Evansville's shocking upset of Kentucky. Yeah, I mean, I tweeted something earlier. Um, it's it, This is going to be a season where it's it's not a good thing or, or necessarily a safe place to be, being number one in the country. Uh, we will presumably have a different AP poll number one team in the country uh, next week, the third, the third number one team in the in the first yeah. two weeks of, of college basketball. So, um, great. I mean, great game by by Evansville, but it definitely showed some of the some of the flaws and some of the areas that Kentucky needs to work on. And, and I mean, really, there have been uh, a couple of, of excellent games, excellent matchups over the first week uh, from the Champions Classic to the most recent top twenty five matchup between Oregon and. Uh, Memphis, but yeah, I mean, there, there's some, there's some big surprises. Brian, I understand that, you know, Kentucky's young, um, Mm -hmm. and and they'll improve, but this is a game you can't lose if you're expected to be a national championship contender. Not at all. And I, I do think that Evansville really exposed, um, a few things in, in Kentucky that they have to shore up because it's going to be very easy for other teams, more talented teams, to copy that. One thing that Evansville did, which isn't a, a new concept when it comes to these Kentucky teams, is they packed the paint defensively and forced Kentucky to shoot from the perimeter, which Kentucky couldn't do. Uh, I think they shot a 4-17 from three in that game. And I was looking it up on the season this year, Kentucky has only made 12 threes in three games. And if you take out uh, Maxie's performance against Michigan State in that Champions Classic game, where he kind of took over late and made a couple of big shots, they're 9 of 49 from three. That's like 18% on the season. That's not good. That's not good enough, especially in an era we talk about now where it's more perimeter-oriented and how much value we put on the three-point shot being that bad and having – that much of a liability from a, an entire team standpoint, not just one or two players. Their entire team is struggling in that regard that much. And I think the more alarming part with that is that it's not exactly a, a new or unexpected thing for Kentucky either. They were bad shooting the three last year, and all of their better shooters left. I, I think their their best guy coming back from a percentage standpoint was Emmanuel Quickly. And it's not like he's somebody who you look at and you think, oh, yeah, he's a knockdown shooter. That's going to be a problem I think they need to address and, and find ways around as the season progresses because I don't think that's necessarily something that's going to get a lot better. But what Evansville did to them defensively um, was alarming. Uh, they, they, Kentucky was sloppy with their rotations, which, again, can be expected uh, with a younger team. Uh, defensive rotations are usually one of the bigger – growth points for a freshman coming in to playing college basketball. But they just – they went up and they isolated uh, that grad transfer from Bucknell, Cisnina, and exploited him. He he had no lateral quickness. Evans, Evansville was able to get around him whenever they wanted. So if they get an SEC play and SEC players are able to isolate him, 
he's going to be a liability to the point where he can't leave him on the floor. Yeah, and and that's where I think that you're you're definitely going to see um, some sort of of adjustment to that rotation because Sestina in the in the starting lineup is is not going to work long term. You know, I, no. I understand they're they're dealing with injuries, so he kind of has to be in the starting lineup right now. But um, I wouldn't be surprised if Kentucky went to to more of a a two forward three guard lineup. Um, at least for the time being, and throw Maxi kind of in as a, as a third guard. Because uh, yeah. really, I mean, he's been the, the one consistent scoring option for Kentucky. And so, um, you know, I think it would be good for them to move him up into the starting lineup or at least give him, you know, I mean, he's playing 33 minutes a game. And uh, if you take away those, those, you know, maybe drop Sestina from 29 to 30 minutes to, to, to more like, 18 to 20 um you you can give uh some of the other players a little bit more time on the floor um but but i think that one of the you know perhaps almost as big a story as the kentucky you know loss to evansville is the fact that it took uh sam cunliffe uh moving to a (laughs) mid-major team to start playing like a high major player um because he you know kind of had unfortunate circumstances at, at Arizona state and then didn't really uh, make his way into the rotation at, at Kansas. Um, but he played a huge role uh, in this Evansville win. Yeah. He had 17 off the bench, 15 in the first half. It is kind of interesting to see him go from Kansas now a bench player for Evansville, but the impact he had in this game, uh, I think he is used to play that level of competition and wasn't necessarily afraid of the moment and keeping Evansville in that game early and kind of carrying them as they grew into the game was huge for them. Yeah, no. And look, I, I, I think people are going to overreact to this win. Um, I wouldn't take this win and, and all automatically assume Evansville is going to win the Missouri Valley conference. Um, and I wouldn't take this loss and, and automatically assume that Kentucky should drop out of the top 10. I just think that it, it shows that there's reasons to be concerned about the, about the Wildcats. And, um, you know, the, the, it's like this every year with Kentucky, it seems, where they, they kind of start off slow. They have a lot of freshmen coming in, and you can't really judge them. And like we said last week, you can't really right. judge Kentucky until December. And so I'm, you know, they're going to drop in in the rankings, uh, but I wouldn't necessarily say that they're, you know, tremendously overrated or or not a championship contender because of this loss. I just think that they they have areas that definitely need to be addressed uh, by Calipari. It reminds me of when Furman beat Villanova at Villanova last year, and it raised a lot of eyebrows, myself included. It was at a time it was right after Villanova had just gotten curb stomped by Michigan and certainly raised a lot of concerns about Villanova, but a lot of people, uh, myself included, were really high on Furman the way they played. Uh, Furman had also gone and beaten Loyola Chicago uh, back when we thought they were still good. <laughs> that ended pretty quickly. Um, and Furman was, was a team to watch and ended up finishing, I think, third or fourth in the SoCon and didn't come close to making the tournament despite having that really big win against a top 25 caliber team, eventual Big East champs in Villanova. So uh, I think this shows that Evansville 
can be a quality team. And if they get into the tournament, I think they're a team you have to watch because they've proven that they can beat and play with anybody in hostile environments. But it's one thing to play this well and have this good of a game plan on one night compared to doing it on a nightly consistent basis through conference play, playing teams that know you like the back of their hand kind of. And that's where we've seen teams like Furman, uh, other teams that have gotten big wins like this in the past falter is that they can do it for one night, but can't do it consistently. So that's now the, the task that Evansville has to kind of fulfill. No, absolutely. I, I would probably still say Missouri State's the favorite to win that conference, but um, you know, at least, at least this shows that there's going to be some good competition in the Missouri Valley conference. And for Kentucky, I mean, Kentucky's not the only team that struggled this past week, this first week. You know, you got Washington, right. who struggled against Mount St. Mary's, Auburn, who struggled against South Alabama, Winthrop upset St. Mary's in Moraga. So, you know. Well, that's the thing with this loss now. Who who do you feel comfortable putting at number one? Because, and we've talked about this a lot in the preseason, there are problems with pretty much all of the top teams in the country. Yeah, I I think number one for me has to be kind of one of those top three uh, teams in the ACC right now, um, Duke, uh, UNC, or Louisville, uh, simply because they, they've shown that there are concerns, and, and I would probably say that Louisville has the, has the lowest number of areas or, or has the least amount of concerns surrounding their team. Sure. They just might not have the same talent on their roster as Duke or UNC um, from, from a pure ceiling perspective um but uh yeah i mean those those three teams have really shown that they they kind of have it all together right now i'd probably put louisville at number one just because i think that they are playing the best basketball but you know duke just won 105 to 54 i mean it was against central arkansas but um you don't just score 105 points and, and not not have you know a good roster so Duke's defense is going to be is is kind of already, but is going to be really scary, and I, I mean, think that's something that they can hang their hat on at least. Yeah, I, Duke's Duke's defense is excellent, and and they have a solid defense without you know um, having the same offensive struggles that Virginia has. So yeah, um, yeah, I mean, they're they're like Gonzaga has an excellent offense. I do still have some concerns about the defense. Um, and the, today's game or yesterday's game, when this comes out uh, against North Dakota, um, was probably their best defensive effort. But they still gave up 66 points against against a team that, you know, they probably could have held to less. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, Duke, Duke's defense, and they've shown that they're going to put the effort in on the defensive end. And it's turning into offense for them which is kind of a a good thing to uh to have um yeah especially I mean, when they can't shoot either yeah well and and that's the other thing is is there are teams that are that can that have continued to shoot well gonzaga unc uh kansas has shot pr- relatively well but then you've got like kentucky duke michigan state auburn is struggling to shoot from three um, Virginia. yeah they it's just 
there are teams that and and I think I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that Duke, Gonzaga, Kansas have those guys in the middle that can kind of force the defense to collapse and, and give a little bit more open looks. Um, because what I saw today, uh, especially in the the Memphis Oregon game, is that it felt like Memphis with with James Wiseman in the middle was getting a lot more open looks on the perimeter. Now they weren't necessarily converting them at the same rate, but um, you know I I noticed that teams with with big men in the middle, Philip Petrusa for Gonzaga. Um, Doak for for Kansas have opened up the floor a lot more for the shooters, I feel. And and it might just be that they have better shooters. But, um, yeah, I mean. Well, it it comes down to the fact that when you have a big man uh, who can score with his back to the basket, it requires more attention from help defenders. Because if you you let James Wiseman go one-on-one with his defender, for instance, it's going to be a bucket 70% of the time. And so a lot of times you get help defenders kind of cheating to help with that in turn, leaving shooters open. Yeah. And if the first guy's not open uh, and you play on a, on a smart team that moves the ball, you get some of those hockey assist kind of deals. Um, and there's usually somebody who's open. So having that, that big certainly draws attention and um, create, creates those looks just from the threat of what he can do offensively. Yeah, and I was watching. You know, I've I've probably watched more Pacific games this season than any other team, um, based purely on the fact that they played four games and they happened to play really late, <laughs> and so I just have the ability to watch Pacific games. But um, it it really bugged me because for those who don't watch Pacific, Pacific's bread and butter is attacking the rim. You know, the past three seasons, all the way back to when they finished fourth in the WCC, it's been attacking the rim. And it seems like they're just settling for jumpers, and it seems like everyone in college basketball is settling for jumpers um, early on this season, regardless of the fact of whether or not you know they're actually making those jump shots or if there's a better look inside, um, and, and the fact that the the three point line is just it's further, you know, it, it just seems like I mean even Auburn right they've struggled mm-hmm. to shoot from three, but. They continue to shoot, and on that last possession, they missed two three-point shots before they even thought about pushing the ball inside. So, um, it, it, it's it's frustrating because you know we all expected this new three-point line to really open up the floor to allow more people to penetrate um, mm-hmm. and spread the and spread the defense out, and teams are still kind of settling for jumpers and not converting. So. Yeah, it, it's been a, I, I think, a first week that has been marked by sloppy play and poor decisions by pretty much every team. And a lot of that can be chalked up to it being early in the season, obviously, and teams are growing. Um, it's sort of a rebuilding year for a lot of teams or reloading year for a lot of teams. Um, we talk about it being a down year for the teams at the top of the polls. And there's reason for that. There's you know, there's not the returners for Virginia that there was last year. There's no Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome. There's no – there are good freshmen, but there are no real superstar freshman classes like there was at Duke last year. Memphis is probably the closest thing to that, but they don't have any experienced guys who can kind of lead the way for them. Uh, there is no returning Auburn or Tennessee teams that 
produced really well the year before and bring everybody back. Uh, Louisville is probably the closest thing we have to that. And it's why we're talking about them now as being the number one team uh, this early in the season is because they're, they're sort of a known commodity, but the speaking of uh, Oregon and, and West coast teams, one of the things I've been most impressed with the first week of the season has been the play of the PAC 12, particularly Oregon picking up the big one over Memphis, um, Arizona, got a, a I don't know if you can count Illinois as a big win, but an important win over Illinois. And then Washington, obviously, getting that win over Baylor. All those teams led by a freshman. But the Pac-12 is looking really, really good at this point in the year and has some qua- some excuse me, top-quality teams uh, in those three that I mentioned. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I'm still watching the scores right now. Um, it looks like they're going to finish this week or tonight uh, with a couple of losses. Um, Santa Clara looks like it's going to beat Washington State. Uh, Cal and UNLV are in a close one, and, and USC seems to be letting letting South Dakota State back into the game. But um, yeah, well, they've, I mean, the <laughs> they've uh they've really impressed. I mean, specifically uh, Oregon and and Arizona. Um, mm-hmm. You know, those two teams came in with with the most hype. Um, and Arizona, I don't know if it's Illinois is just not as good as people thought they would be or if Arizona is really that good, but they absolutely handled Illinois yeah. uh, in that game on Sunday. And, um, you know, Oregon has, you know, even Memphis, it was more of Oregon was opening the lead and Memphis was kind of clawing its way back. And Oregon trailed for, what, 30 seconds in that game? Yeah, so, Oregon was in control pretty much the entire yeah. way. Um, even with the struggles of Peyton Pritchard from uh, from a scoring perspective, they were kind of handling their business. Um, they they lost uh, Chris Duarte for the second uh, ten minutes of the first half. Uh, that's when Memphis took their lead, um, and then Anthony Mathis just showed why he's one of the best three point shooters in college basketball. So um, I've been impressed with Utah. Utah's offense <laughs> looks ridiculously good um a lot better than i thought it would be um and that's that's unlike utah yeah so um it it just looks deep you know it might not even be good i mean they scored 80 against or 79 against nevada and uh over 100 what 140 something against mississippi valley state um they're just deep they have a lot of options um so you know, it's 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 really tough right now. You know, I'm 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 writing biweekly uh, Pac-12 rankings, and you know, I'm already starting to think about next week's, and it's really hard for me to put the Pac-12 in any sort of order. You know, outside of I kind of know Oregon, Arizona are going to be my one and two, um, mm-hmm. and I know Washington State, Cal are going to be my bottom two. But outside of that, I mean, they've all every team has looked at least you know decent. Yeah. Um, so I think it's going to be a really fun conference race, uh, especially at the top, because you have those three teams, Washington, Arizona, Oregon, throw Colorado in there as well, who I know you really like. Um, and then anybody from that second tier uh, with Arizona State, UCLA and USC, both of them looked a little bit iffy to start the year. Oregon State uh, looked good against Iowa State. Trace Tinkle uh, is looking to have another big year, so 
Yeah. yeah. And, you know, things are setting up for them to potentially have a breakout year that it looked like they were kind of on their way to having last year. Mm-hmm. The potential is still there for them to have that this year. Uh, it's going to be a fun conference to watch. And there are plenty of bids up for grabs this year with down years uh, depth-wise in the ACC and the Big Ten. Uh, looks like the SEC as well. You know, I, I said before the season, I thought the Pac-12 could get six teams in the tournament. Uh, and I, I feel really good about that prediction, uh, especially with and with the amount of teams they have at the top. I think we could see Washington, Oregon, Arizona all ranked in the top 20, maybe even top 15 next week. And so I would feel good about all those teams being in positions to get fairly favorable draws that come into the tournament time. Yeah, I mean, even I, I would say that there are 10 teams, at least at this point in the Pac-12, that, um, you know, they're going to beat up on each other in the conference. So teams oh, like yeah. Stanford is probably going to be knocked out because of conference play. But, you know, I was high on Oscar De Silva uh, preseason. And, you know, he's averaging 17 and a half points and three and a half boards um, early on this season. Uh, Utah looks good. So it's going to be a good conference. I, I think we need to address the elephant in the room. Um, both you and I uh, came into this season with our preseason number one team being the Florida Gators. Oh, um, we're going to bring that up. We're going to bring we, – we have to bring that one up. Um, they looked good against North Florida and then just could not score the basketball against Florida State. Um their schedule over the next uh, two two to three weeks looks relatively manageable, um, with their toughest game probably being the game at UConn. Uh, but then they then they have Butler, Providence, Utah State, and the SEC after that. Um, what does Florida need to fix in order to really – do you think they have the ability to get back into the national contender conversation? Um or, or is it some, or is there a deeper issue that you think is not really something they can address? They definitely have the ability to. Uh, ability isn't a question. Um, potential isn't a question. Talent isn't a question. The big, the only concern that I think people had about Florida coming into the season is Mike White's offense. And I thought with Andrew Nimhard running the show and some of the athletes they have coming in, it would be a little bit more wide open than it had been in the past. Uh, I, I do know that some of the past players had caused some of the offensive problems just from their ball-stopping tendencies, and with them gone, I was expecting a more free-flowing kind of offense. That wasn't the case in that Florida State game, and that's a big reason why they played so poorly and shot so poorly is the, the ball movement simply wasn't there. Uh, and when you have a point guard like Andrew Nemhard, that's really disappointing because he's somebody who can create a lot of plays for others just on his own. You don't even need to call play for it. It, it could also be chalked up to a bad shooting night, uh, being out of rhythm. Uh, traditionally, Florida State tends to perform pretty well against Florida in these early season matchups. Um, you can even go back to when Florida won the second of their back-to-back championships and uh, Florida State was a middle of the middle pack ACC team uh, knocked off the Gators then. Uh, and really since then, it's been kind of one of those series that uh, just been kind of weird with the way Florida state has been able to play Florida. So I'm not ready to push the pan and button just yet. 
it is worth remembering that Florida also has a number of freshmen that are going to play key offensive roles or trying to work in and figure out. So it's still early. It's one bad shooting game against a really good defensive team uh, in Florida State that needed a win. I'll push the panic button uh, if they have a couple more games like this where the offense isn't moving and they're shooting poorly because it needs to be addressed. But at the same time, it's also one game. And I think that's important to remember this point in the year um, with a team that has this much talent. Yeah, like we said earlier, you know, a lot but it of teams, was ugly. It, it, I mean, it was it didn't look good. Um, it, you know, teams are going to have to work on these things, but I think that Florida's loss to Florida State probably concerned me the most of all the teams that I would consider national title contenders. Yeah, the, outside of Kentucky and Evansville. Yeah. um another question i have and and you might be be uh able to answer this is how good is seton hall without powell and you know i'm i'm you know they're probably still a tournament team um but they they've got some tough matchups uh in the non-conference and you know i'm I'm not i'm not necessarily sure that Mm -hmm. or confident that they'll win any of them yeah the good news is that it looks like Powell is going to be back this weekend. Um, and if he's not back this weekend, he'll be back next week. So everything for the battle for Atlantis, which is going to be just murderer's row for Seton Hall, no matter who, if they win, if they lose, that tournament is so loaded. They're going to play a ranked team pretty much, no matter what happens in that tournament. So there's going to be opportunities for them there. And having Powell back for that is going to be good. But without him, or at least without him at 100%, it's going to be a struggle for them. I think to find that offense, they're going to have to become a more defensive-oriented team, uh, try and force some turnovers and generate kind of easy points in transition, because uh, they do rely on him for so much of their scoring. Um, there are obviously guys on the team who can pick up that slack, but you know, there's 30 points just walking out the door, and it's not easy to replace. I will say their next matchup on Thursdays against Michigan State, uh, another team that has offensive problems. And my big concern with Michigan State, as I mentioned a couple of times on the podcast and in articles on bustingbrackets.com, is their lack of size uh, and front court depth. On the flip side, Seton Hall is one of the biggest teams in the country and is extremely deep, particularly with that size. So if you're looking for – if there was a game – that Powell was going to miss a marquee game. I think you could point to this Michigan State game. As good of a team as Michigan State is, and as good of a player as Cassius Winston is, they have a weakness that Seton Hall is set up to exploit without Powell. I, I don't know if Seton Hall will win that game without Powell, but I see at least a pathway for them to do it with their side. Yeah, and I definitely agree. I mean, we, you don't want to miss that game against Oregon in, in the battle for Atlantis. No. Um, you don't want to miss the game against Maryland. Uh, but but if you can force the game to be won in the front court, that that Michigan State game would be the game to, to choose. Is it is it too early to, to declare the Big East as the best conference in basketball? Because... No. 
Unless you want to talk about the Pac-12, maybe. But I, I, I Creighton's the only loss, and they they still looked decent against that Michigan team. That Michigan defense just kind of gave them a whole lot of issues, and mm-hmm. I, I'm not necessarily sure that any team is going to perform well against that Michigan defense. So, because um, DePaul looks good, St. John's all look really good. DePaul, yeah, St. John's <laughs> doesn't doesn't look good but they're three and oh as well so st john's looks really good for a 10th place team yes <laughs> um but but i think you know every team in the big east has looked good mm-hmm. um at least in in one game this year for sure and the depth of the conference is something that we talked about I don't think we necessarily expected DePaul and St. John's to be joining that party, uh, but they have. And that's only adding to what's going to be a a really fun conference race once we get into these games and they start beating up on each other in January and February. But uh, if you look at the conference, we normally talk about the Big 12 as being sort of that that 10-team league that has the potential. It seems like all 10 teams are in the tournament or at least on the bubble when it comes down to late February and early March, where all of them have a chance. We could be seeing that in the Big East this year, where if St. John's or DePaul uh, gets a win or two over a Villanova, over a Seton Hall, um, could be in position to be on the bubble with another win or two at that time. Uh, It's a conference that I think we had uh, agreed it might get five or six teams in the tournament in the preseason, we did our preseason podcast, but I wouldn't be surprised if they got seven or eight teams in now, uh, just with the the quality that those teams at the bottom are showing. Yeah, and, and I think that looking at looking at the mid majors and some of the other conferences, you know, beyond the top one to three teams in, in most of these conferences. And you could, you could even throw in um, the, the SEC or the, the Big Ten into that conversation. Mm-hmm. There's just a huge drop-off. Um, teams like Davidson that we thought were going to be, you know, tournaments. Davidson got smacked by Charlotte. Yeah, they got smacked by Charlotte. They, they struggled to, to do a lot. I mean, they, they still got their points, but they struggled against Auburn. Um mm. They they don't look good right now. Um, so really, in the in the A10, you're talking about now VCU, um, Dayton maybe, mm-hmm. and we haven't really seen Dayton play anybody, but uh, they look the part at least. Yeah, they they play what Indiana State this week, um, I mm-hmm. believe, and so. But really, outside of those two, you've got you've got the American Athletic Conference is going to get multiple bids. Um, the Mountain West might be the the outside of the A10 and the American Athletic. The Mountain West might be the te- might be the conference that gets that second uh, or that at large bid from the mid major ranks, um, because I just don't see St. Mary's winning enough games this season to overcome a loss to Winthrop. No, not at all. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see kind of where those come from. And a lot of it, of course, will depend on conference tournaments uh, and who gets those. Because, uh, you know, if 
Pacific or St. Mary's wins the West Coast Conference Tournament, that bid suddenly goes, you know, that large goes to Gonzaga. So, as always, it, we'll see kind of how it plays out as the season goes on. But uh, as you mentioned, there's not many mid-major conferences that you can look at confidently and say that they're going to be in the mix for multiple bids, which in a down year for all, a lot of conferences from a depth perspective, uh, kind of a shame. There, this is would be the year for an opportunity like that. Uh, and uh, Davidson in particular seems to be, I know it's still early, it's only two games, but kind of falling flat on their face here. Yeah, I mean, Davidson doesn't, didn't look good. The, the WAC um, hasn't looked good. Uh, Your New Mexico State Aggies, before I forget, sir, got shellacked by UTEP. Yeah, they were uh, they were definitely missing uh, Brown and, and Harris in that one. They just those you know outside of Trevlin Queen, uh, Terrell Brown and, and AJ Harris are, are the offensive weapons on that team, and, and missing both mm-hmm. of them for a, for an away game at UTEP, a rivalry game at UTEP. Um, that that's you know they went into that game and I kind of gave up in the first five minutes. Um, but even, even the, the Ivy league, you know, uh, Princeton and Yale both went, uh, and played San Francisco and, and both got beat pretty, pretty handily. And San Francisco is not a bad team. And, and I'll say this, Charles Minland is probably the, the best player on a non contender. Well, second best player. Cause I don't think Pepperdine's really a contender in that conference, but, um, you know, the two bit Ivy. I think that those those dreams have been uh, been put to rest pretty pretty quickly. Dashed. <laughs> um, no, I mean, yeah, San Francisco is going to be a good a good uh, a good uh, barometer because they play Harvard uh, at the end of the, the calendar year. So it's uh... <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think we a chance for the mid-majors to kind of get back on track. I'm looking forward to this uh, on Wednesday is that VCU-LSU game. Uh, in Richmond at VCU, Will Wade taking LSU uh, back. He coached VCU for two years before leaving for LSU. VCU's favored uh, line as of this recording is sitting at two and a half in that game in favor of VCU. I think that's a real sa- uh, chance for the Rams to make a statement. Uh, LSU, I-, I think too, we think they're good, but Again, they haven't been tested this season uh, without Tremont Waters and Nas Reed from last year. VCU is one of those teams that has all of their players back from uh, a team that kind of breezed through the A-10 last year. Uh, that's going to be one of the things that's going to be interesting to see. One, where both teams stand, and two, how big of a power a VCU could be in the mid-major ranks. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the early games, um, it would be today, uh, are um, you know pretty decent? Uh, you've got that VCU LSU game. Uh, Villanova Ohio State is going mm. to be an excellent game. Um, and then outside of you know ranked team matchups, uh, I I'm looking forward to that Purdue Marquette uh, matchup mm-hmm. um, simply because I think it's it's an opportunity for Purdue to prove that the loss to Texas was more a a symptom of Texas just being a good team um, rather than, you know, Purdue not being a a team that should be considered in the top 30 to 35. 
Um, and But it's also an opportunity for Marquette to prove that, hey, we're still here. Um, right. So. Yeah, I'll, I'll be there covering that game in Milwaukee, and I'm really excited to, to go check it out for those reasons. I, I'm hoping it's a close game, uh, one, from an entertainment standpoint, obviously. But, two, I think the biggest question for Purdue post-Carson Edwards is finding that go-to scorer. And in that game against Texas, they were kind of in control until the end of the game where they didn't necessarily know who to go to. Uh, and in the last four minutes, they only scored two buckets, uh, both of which came in garbage time in the last 11 seconds when Texas was just trying not to foul. Uh, they they went cold, and Texas went on a, a little bit of a run that allowed them to take control and ultimately put that game away. So for me, that question still hasn't been answered. Uh, and it may not get answered, but – I view Purdue and Marquette as similar teams in terms of the fact that uh, as of now, you know, they're not considered top 25 teams, but are also would be considered bubble teams. Right. Kind of like in that weird middle ground, uh, which adds added importance to this game, potentially down the road when you get to March, you're looking at seeding, potential bubble conversation, uh, but also a good measuring stick for both teams. Right, and, and I think the Tuesday games uh, are really starting, uh, and, and, and the Wednesday games, it's starting to pick up because yeah. um, I mentioned earlier the Oregon-Memphis game was the first game between two top 25-ranked teams since the Champions Classic. Um, mm-hmm. But we've got, we've got top 25 matchups pretty much all week. Um, that that Villanova Ohio State game I mentioned, Michigan State plays Seton Hall like we discussed. Uh-huh. Um, I'm also it's not a top twenty five game, but I think that the Penn State Georgetown game will be a a game where one of those teams will look to announce itself as a true tournament team um, because I both those teams are kind of you know they have they they, they have bubble aspirations, um, but they. Yeah really need to kind of prove it um so yeah what other games are you looking forward to this week those are the big ones obviously um the the, as we get into the weekend the slate's a little bit thin uh, just because of football and they're not being scheduling conflicts but one game i'm looking forward to on saturday uh, is the washington tennessee game Uh, washington uh, has been tested with that Baylor game and passed, played pretty well. It's another chance for them to kind of improve themselves, solidify themselves. But I, I think it's more about Tennessee and them proving themselves in a post-Grant Williams, Admiral Schofield, Jordan Bone era. The same way we talked about Purdue trying to find a go-to score and, a, and an identity uh, without Carson Edwards. I need to see Tennessee do that without their three best players. And uh, they looked a little bit shaky uh, Tuesday night against Murray State, ended up winning that game by about 20 points, uh, but we're losing by a, a not insignificant margin at halftime. So there are, uh, I think, some questions that t- Tennessee trying to find themselves, and that's going to be a revealing game one way or another for the balls. Yeah, I mean, Tennessee did not look good in that first half, um, and, and they picked it up in the second half. Um, but they probably performed how we would have expected them to perform in that game in the second half. So, yeah, it, it's just – I mean, it's going to take some time for a lot of these teams with high turnover to perform well. Uh, 
but that said, there are teams that are performing well already, so we can't really mm-hmm. discount that either. Um, I'm looking forward to the BYU uh, Houston matchup because I think it's probably the first difficult game Houston faces. Um, yep. And with with the there's a clear I think competition two way race uh, at least it, it appears there's going to be a two way race in the American um, between Houston and Memphis and I think this is an opportunity for Houston to prove that they should belong in that conversation uh, because I I do think Memphis proved despite losing to Oregon and despite Oregon kind of controlling that game from a pure talent perspective and a pure Memphis is still in this game perspective. I think Memphis proved that they deserve to be in the conversation as, as the favorite to win the American. Yeah. Um, and so Houston really needs one of those games as well to, to, uh, to kind of set the, set the pace for the season. Yeah. Talent-wise, Memphis has the advantage, I, I would say, for sure. But Houston has the experience. And they're no slouch from a talent perspective either. Uh, Calvin Sampson's one of the more underrated coaches in the country. So – you know, that's, that's one, again, just sort of make a statement, remind everybody that you're here, kind of a game. There's there's three more games I'm looking at this week that I'm excited about. Two of which are Sunday afternoon, if you want to take a break from red zone, NFL games you're watching. The New Mexico State-Arizona game, yeah. Car, I know you're going to be locked in on. It's interesting for me uh, if New Mexico State can be healthy and give Arizona something of a test. Um, despite the loss to UTEP. Uh, they're talented enough, too. They're experienced enough, too. Just something interesting to watch there. And then, of course, Florida and UConn. Uh, UConn needs to make a statement at some point this season um, in year two of the Dan Hurley era that they're progressing in the right direction. This is their first real chance to do that. On the flip side, obviously, Florida needs to figure out their offense. Yeah. And just from a, from a, I think momentum standpoint, needs needs a win to kind of block out some of the noise and get things turned back around in a positive direction. Put that Florida State game behind them, so it's important from that perspective as well. And UConn um, is a team that I think is good enough to challenge them, but I don't know if it's actually good enough to beat them. Mm-hmm. So it might it might be a, a good game for Florida from that standpoint, but. You know, it's in stores, and if you give UConn a chance, uh, they might be there at the end to to snatch a victory there. Um, And then kind of get into early next week, but Tuesday, uh, Vermont and Virginia. I'm really looking forward to. Virginia's defense has been as good as ever the start of this season. I know they haven't played some great offenses, uh, but as good as ever. Flip side of that, offense has gone back to what it was pre Ty Jerome, Jodry Hunter, Kyle Guy, where it's just a mess and they can't shoot and people rightfully wondered when they could win games against good teams. They've sort of reverted back to that offensively to this point in the year. And Vermont has one of the best major players in the country in Anthony Lamb, an experienced team that plays really well. Um, I don't know if they're going to be able to you know, do everything they want to do against the Virginia team, but they're smart and skilled enough to give Virginia a test. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and from the West Coast perspective, I'm looking forward to. Well, USC has a pair of games this uh, upcoming week. 
um, that I think will prove to be a lot tougher than their first three games. Uh, they travel to Reno to play Nevada, and then they play Pepperdine at home. Um, and that kind of starts a, a relatively mediocre non-conference slate. Uh, you know, they have Temple later this month um, and LSU in December. But um, I think that if USC wants to prove that they belong in the conversation for, you know, one of the top teams um, in the Pac-12 and they want to shake that kind of Anthony Enfield underachieves as a USC head coach stigma, those are two games they have to win. I, I bet you they lose one of those games. Uh, and I think it's going to be the home game against Pepperdine. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that, I mean, that's, that's just the, the epitome of a, of a USC Anthony Enfield or Andy Enfield loss um, would be yeah. to lose at home to Pepperdine after, after winning a tough road game against Nevada. Um, that, and then I think the, the New Mexico UTEP matchup will be a good mm-hmm. one simply from the perspective of UTEP looked good against New Mexico state, but New Mexico state was missing two of its top three players, right? New Mexico's looked good early on, but I don't think we've necessarily seen them play a game in which they were really challenged. So from that perspective, these two teams going up against each other in a rivalry game will, will be a fun, a fun, uh, fun thing to watch. And I don't think it, it'll necessarily tell us a ton simply because I don't think either team, maybe New Mexico, but I don't think either team really has at large aspirations. Um, but at least it'll, it'll create kind of, of a line in the sand about where these two teams are. So when they face teams like Utah State, San Diego State, and others, um, you can get a true sense of how good those those teams are keep in mind with utep too they're the only team in the state of texas that's ever won a national championship yep (laughs) not that that matters this year but i always remind myself that when i talk about utep basketball (laughs) yeah although i i will say it's and i think we can end on this before we go into bold predictions for the next week um watching andrew jones play this season has been one of the greatest stories, I think, in recent sports memory. Can't be talked about enough. Because not only has he come back after beating cancer... He's good! He's he's better than we thought he would be. His um, first game back was a career high. <laughs> and and he, he, what, he sank the two free throws that kind of put, put Purdue yeah. away. Um, you know, he's... If he continues to play at the rate he's been playing, and and those bigs, you know, for the the uh, interior players for for Texas, continue to to play well, you know, I, I think Texas could be a mainstay in the top twenty five. He changes Texas from a perimeter perspective of giving them a legitimate scorer who can hurt you from the perimeter or drive past you and create for somebody else. They, they've they lacked that. Uh, Matt Coleman and uh, Ramey aren't exactly the best shooters and don't exactly strike fear in, a, in opponents the way that Andrew Jones does. Uh, and I think they've missed that the past couple years. Uh, it, it is early. And the win at Purdue, uh, I joked, could be that token uh, November Shaka Smart saving his job win that they end up falling on their face later. But 
the presence of Jones gives them a, a different look that they haven't had. And there's definitely hope that they're able to continue this moving forward and not fall on their face like they did last year when they lost at home to Radford. Right. So I, I think to, to finish out, um, I kind of wanted to discuss kind of the team that impressed you the most this week, the team that's caused you the most cause, given you the most cause for concern, and then uh, one bold prediction for the upcoming week. The team that caused me the most concern um, is Florida, just from the offensive stuff we talked about before. That's been Mike White's problem is offense and having one that uh, works smoothly Again, Florida has the pieces to make it work, and I think he kind of has to go hands-off a little bit and let him go. But that's something that I'd like to see from him. Uh, I was really impressed. Uh, I'll go two Pac-12 teams uh, with Washington and that win against Baylor. They showed a lot of toughness and fight that I wasn't expecting from them, given the amount of young players that they had. Uh, And considering the fact they didn't play that well, to beat a good team like Baylor when you don't play that well. And it, it's very clear with them to see what their upside is when you have somebody like Jaden McDaniels, who's a matchup nightmare, uh, Isaiah Thomas, or Isaiah Stewart, excuse me, being able to to dominate in the post or at least have the skill set to. Uh, Quade Green, I think, had nine assists in that game. Um, Naz Carter did, did really well as well. Uh, the potential is there for them to not play well and still be a team like Baylor. Um, by making plays down the stretch really impressed me. Uh, and then Oregon's went over Memphis. I, I know Dim Twizen was in foul trouble, um, but to me, Oregon, with the way Peyton Pritchard's playing, looks like they might end up being a, a top-five team, uh, given the struggles a lot of the other top teams are having, which would be um, something I wouldn't have expected at the start of the season. But they, uh, some of it has to do with the experience they have, but they at least seem to be ahead of schedule with where um, a lot of the other teams in the country are, at least at the top of the polls. Yeah. Um, old prediction. Um, I, this is tough for me. I think we see, I don't know how bold this is, but I think we see VCU beat LSU by double digits okay. in a game that's not that close. And I think Seton Hall without Miles Powell uh, keeps it uncomfortably close against Michigan State. I, I think they lose, uh, but I think their size uh, makes it much, much closer than it probably should be. So I'm going to I'm gonna not go with Florida simply because you, uh, you already mentioned them. Um, the team that I'm the most concerned with uh, outside of Florida um, at this point in the season is probably Kansas simply for the fact that I get that Duke's defense is good. And so uh, Udoka Asabuki and, and Sylvia D'Souza were going to struggle. Um, something's not right with D'Souza because he's he didn't play much in the second game either. But Doak also mm-hmm. only had 10 points in that game. And if those two or if, if one of those two can't find ways to be a consistent double-figure sco- scorer, I'm not sure that Kansas – their guard play is good, but I'm not sure that they have enough to to beat some of those other top teams. They they really need those two to kind of figure it out. And, and I think I I mentioned or I tweeted last week. I think 
Doak is kind of getting exposed for being kind of what he is, which is a one-dimensional low post scorer yep. um, who's who's decent on on the boards and and solid-ish defensively. But um, if you keep him away from the low post, he's he's not really a factor. He's not, and he he hasn't been. And Kansas has had guards uh, or Dietrich Lawson last year that have been able to kind of do more of the heavy lifting and let Doak kind of be that lob catcher rebounder, which he's great at. But when you're counting on, you know, somebody with a DeAndre Jordan skill set to be the focal point of your offense, uh, you end up trading him to the Dallas Mavericks because he can't do it. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and I think we're kind of seeing that with, with Doak. They're going to need Devin Dotson, I think, to step up and really become um, a Frank Mason, Devontae Graham type guy who can carry that kind of scoring load. Yeah. Um, and then the, the teams that have impressed me the most, uh, obviously I was, I was concerned about Gonzaga. So I'm not going to say that they've impressed me the most. They really haven't played a, a tough opponent. Um, but any concerns I had about their offense's ability to score have gone out the window. Uh, their two guards, at least from an offensive perspective, have been able to step in and, and really, um, be involved. You know, Petrusev and, and Kispert were the scorers that we kind of expected them to be. And, uh, you know, their freshmen, uh, Drew Timmy and, and uh, Watson, um, have looked really good. So I do I have concerns about their defense? Yes. But am I more willing to accept them as a top 10 team? Right now, they'd probably be 11 for me, maybe 10. Um, but, you know, I, I was... I was impressed or at least pleasantly surprised uh, with how well their offense performed uh, from the start. Um, and then, yeah, I, I have to go with, with Oregon uh, and Arizona. Um, I think that Arizona backcourt is going to be good enough this year to, to carry them to a couple of game, wins that they probably shouldn't have. They look special. Yeah. Those two. Um, I still think Oregon's better uh, one through five. Uh, so I, uh, and and I think the win and, and the way they won that game against Memphis, um, was was fun. Uh, Texas has impressed me. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's really early to 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 make these sorts of these teams are going to be true contenders decisions, right. especially with the turnover on a lot of these top teams. Um, but I will say those two teams, I think if, if we had any concerns about North Carolina being a distant third in the ACC, I think those were dispelled. I think those three teams, Duke, Louisville, and North Carolina are all kind of right there. Um, at least from the perspective that North Carolina's shooting relatively well compared to Duke. Um, and, you know, I, I think Cole Anthony is, might be the most exciting player to watch this year or at least from a freshman perspective, the most exciting player to watch. So yeah. I get concerned about their, um, again, it's so early, so it's hard to find any real tendencies, um, but I'm scared about their potential over-reliance on him to do everything offensively. But that's the only negative I could look at right now with that UNC team. Yeah. And, and I think my biggest concern is beyond, beyond Anthony uh, Brooks and Pierce, they they really don't score the ball efficiently, um, but 
you know, I, I think that they'll, they'll be able to, from a pure talent perspective, stay in it. And I think a lot of their players are getting some valuable minutes, especially deeper on the bench, um, that can be used if, if something were to happen to one of their, their main rotation pieces. Um, my bold prediction is I think that we'll see the Big East reach this time next week um, with with just two more losses. So I think that after two weeks, the, the Big East will only have three losses. I think um, I th- Michigan State is probably going to beat Seton Hall. And the only other game where I could see a Big East loss and, and probably would pick a Big East loss would be that St. John's-Vermont game. Um, yep. But outside of that, I mean, it, it looks manageable. Um, and the and the games that they, you know, look close, Villanova, Ohio State, I, I would give the edge to Villanova, especially with, with Wesson um, out uh, with a eye socket issue. Um, no fun. Yeah. Uh, Purdue, Marquette, I'd give, i lean uh, Marquette in that one at home. Uh, yep. Penn State, Georgetown, I'd lean Georgetown at home. Um, and so like a lot of these Xavier, Missouri state, I lean Xavier. So they're playing decent teams, but a lot of those games are at home and, or, or they're against decent teams that I just don't think are at the same level. Um, the, the biggest kind of go back and forth game for me would be Marquette, Wisconsin, cause it's in Madison. Um, mm-hmm. I think Marquette is a clearly a better team than Wisconsin, but you know, Wisconsin slows the game down enough to the point where, Teams that that rely on on kind of high scoring don't really have the biggest advantage. <laughs> I think the biggest storyline in that game might be if Marcus Howard can outscore the entire Wisconsin team. <laughs> do you think? See, you might yeah. need thirty-five points to do so. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they looked. Their defense looks decent, although I think the the game against Winthrop kind of dispelled maybe St. Mary's offensive capabilities a little yeah. bit. Um, specifically the fact that St. Mary's has three players that can score the basketball. And that's, that's, that's about it. Um, yeah. Cause outside of Krebs, Ford and, and Fitz their, their bench has scored over the course of two games, a grand total of 18 points. Not great. No. Not not even their bench. Their bench and remaining two starters have scored a grand total of 18 points over two games. Oh, that is brutal. <laughs> that is brutal. Oh, my goodness. Um, so, see, I and, and here's where I had my concern, and, and it showed in the Winthrop game, uh, not so much in the, in the Wisconsin game because Wisconsin really doesn't have a big that can do this to them, but... Menzies is 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 okay, uh, and he'll he'll get more minutes as he he starts to get towards a hundred percent. Toss is is decent, but neither of them can go one on one in the paint on the defensive end. I don't think, um, not, not at least not with the same strength and and ability as Jordan Hunter, and that really uh, hurts them on the defensive end. And they just don't have the offense to 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 overcome that, and when they go against teams with bigs, they're going to lose. It, it's, yeah. that's just going to be how it is. Um, so 
But yeah, I, I, I think I'm with you. I think it's it's becoming clear early on that the Big East might not have the best teams in the nation, but they're top to bottom the best conference in the country. I'll make one more bowl prediction real quick. I think Marcus Howard has a week and becomes the National Player of the Year front runner. I think he goes off uh, and Marquette beats both Purdue and Wisconsin. Yep. And he's the reason why. And he people start talking about him again uh, the same way they talk about Cassius Winston. So do you? So you think Marquette finds its way into the into the rankings next week? Uh, yeah, uh, you know, in the twenty to twenty five range, mm-hmm. but. I think beat Purdue, Wisconsin, and, and, and find their way in the bottom part of that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and it's been tough. I was going through my top 25 uh, that I need to submit tomorrow, and it's just there's there's not a lot of not not a lot to like at the top. Um, no. But there's about seven to ten teams that I need to leave off my top 25 that I don't want to. And I don't think they deserve to be left off, mm-hmm. but you just, you have to get down to that 25 number. <laughs> yeah. I don't think, unfortunately, Georgetown's making the cut for me <laughs> again. Um, there's just, I mean, I was upset that, that VCU got dropped off the AP poll this week, but I get it. Well, I, when they, when they beat up on LSU, <laughs> they'll, they'll get right back in there. <laughs> Um, yeah, so it'll, it'll be a fun week to watch. I think we'll we'll get more questions answered. Um, we'll have more questions that kind of pop up. Mm-hmm. But, you know, from now until Thanksgiving week, it, it's a lot of just watching these teams develop and seeing which teams are making taking the necessary steps in the right direction. Um, and then once we hit, you know, after those tournaments at Thanksgiving and, and into December, I think we'll have a better understanding of, of the landscape uh, as it currently is. Yeah, that, that's when separation time comes. And right now, I think people are just kind of ironing out the kinks um, and, and trying to find a groove leading into some of those marquee games. Yep. All right. So with that, um, that's it for us this week. I'm Connor Hope for my co-host, Brian Ralph. We will talk to you next Wednesday after all these excellent matchups, um, which will definitely kind of get this season a little bit better a little bit faster and and have a little bit more to watch um than than even this past week had so we will talk to you next week and and enjoy this week of games